2 Corinthians chapter 2. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letters of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that we are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with spirit, with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the gospel, sorry, because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze on the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, the veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Thanks, Troy. Let's pray and ask that God would give us wisdom and understanding from his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the way that it points us to Jesus. Please work through it to change our hearts and grant us faith and grow us to be more like him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Would you just uh, imagine for a moment that uh, this afternoon after church, your phone rings? Uh, It says that it's a UK number, but you answer it anyway just because you're curious about who it might be. And it's one of the Queen's personal staff. And they're looking for someone to fill a very important role, personal ambassador for the Queen. This person will deliver important messages and conduct important negotiations for the Queen of the Commonwealth herself. They'll answer directly to her. And when they speak her messages, they will speak with her her very authority. And they have chosen you for the role. Will you come in tomorrow for an interview and a security check? What's your first reaction to this phone call? It's probably a scam, right? Wrong number, I like that, didn't think of that. Uh, It's a scam. Probably it's a scam, right? Uh, But just imagine it's not. Imagine that they can prove to you without a shadow of a doubt this is not a scam, this is real. What's your second reaction? And they do have the right phone number. What's the second reaction? Probably, why me? I'm not qualified for this. This is way beyond me. Why on earth would you ask me? You've got the wrong person. Now, of course, that's a ridiculous scenario, isn't it? If it does happen this afternoon, let me know. Uh, But I wonder if you've ever had a similar feeling about when you've had an opportunity to speak about Jesus to those around you. We've got good news of eternal life and death given to us by Jesus himself, the risen victorious king, the one who rules over the universe and the one who will one day return to set all things right. And he has given us a great task of being his ambassadors, of declaring this good news to our friends and our family and our neighbours and our workmates. And yet who are we to fill a role like that? Who on earth is qualified? Well, here in 2 Corinthians, Paul asks the same question. See, Paul says that he's part of Jesus' victory parade. He's proclaiming the good news of Jesus, the risen King, everywhere he goes. A message of life and death. Who is sufficient for these things? And we kind of expect his answer to be no one. That seems right, doesn't it? But his answer is actually something surprising. He says, we are. In fact, he says, we all are. But not because we're qualified, not because we are sufficient, but because God has made us sufficient. That's what we see here in this passage. We can join the gospel parade to make Jesus known to everyone around us with confidence. Because God makes us sufficient and God changes hearts by his spirit. So let's dive in. Let's join the gospel parade. Remember, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth because things are hard. Their relationship is strained. Paul doesn't seem impressive. He seems a bit unreliable. And false teachers are calling them to turn away from Paul to turn to a different gospel. And so Paul writes to Corinthians to remind them of the gospel and plead them to be faithful to it and faithful to their partnership with him. 
See, rather than being ashamed of weakness and suffering, Paul wants them to see how in the gospel they can be finding joy in weakness and finding strength in God. Last week we saw Paul's I can explain moment. He wasn't being unreliable. He was actually acting with gospel integrity. He travelled to Troas to preach the gospel, but his fellow worker Titus wasn't there and Paul was worried. So out of love for him and love for the Corinthians, Paul travelled to Macedonia to meet him there. But this traipsing around the countryside wasn't wasted. As he goes, Paul is proclaiming the good news of Jesus. That's what he says in verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. See, even though Paul has faced persecution and suffering and trouble in his travels, he gives thanks to God because through him, the good news of Jesus is being spread everywhere he goes. Paul says it's like he's part of Jesus' victory parade. Now, when a Roman general won a particularly great victory, he would be given this huge victory parade all through Rome. It was a huge honour. The whole city would turn up and there was a very specific order to the parade. I'll put it, put it up here because I think it'll help you see what I mean. First came a group carrying pictures of the battle and plunder from the people they had defeated. Next came some white bulls for sacrifice. Then the captives, the conquered enemies paraded before everyone. And often when they got to the end of the parade route, they would be executed. Then the incense bearers, and they're the ones wafting the strong-smelling smoke out into the crowds. And then the victorious general in the position of glory and honour, followed by Roman citizens who'd been rescued in the campaign. And last, bringing up the rear, the victorious troops of the general. Now Paul is saying that he is being led in Jesus' victory parade. Jesus is the risen, conquering king. Through his death and resurrection, he's defeated Satan, sin and death. He's been declared with power to be the son of God. That's worthy of a victory parade, right? And it's not just Paul who's in this victory parade. It's us too. It's actually true of all of God's people. But the question is, where do we fit in the parade? Look again at verse 14. Paul says that through him, God is spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of him. That he is the aroma of Christ to God. Sounds an awful lot like incense bearers, right? Everywhere Paul goes, he's proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And everywhere he goes, he's like a smell that you can't get rid of. But a good smell. Like incense, a smell that's proclaiming Jesus' victory to everyone around. Being one of God's people means being someone who's wafting the smell of Jesus' victory to the world. And this smell, it means different things to different people. It's aroma to both those who are being saved and those who are perishing. But there are very different consequences for those groups. Look in verse 16. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Just imagine you're in the parade. 
And you're one of the rescued Roman citizens following behind the general in the parade. And the sweet smell of incense wafts back to you and you breathe in deep. Mm. That is the smell of freedom, of life, of rescue. And you rejoice in it. You celebrate. But imagine you're one of the conquered, captured enemies instead. And you're on your way to execution. The smell takes on a different meaning, doesn't it? That's not the smell of life. That is a stench of death. And the gospel is like that. Jesus is the victorious king. He calls everyone everywhere to repent and trust in him. And those who do find forgiveness and rescue and life and joy. But those who refuse, who reject the gospel and who reject this victorious king, the same news of the gospel is a message of judgment. A message of condemnation for refusing to accept the mercy of the king. A message that leads to death. We need to bear this in mind when we share the gospel with others. We should remember that both of these are normal reactions to the gospel. To some, the gospel is a message of life, of salvation. Some will receive it with joy. Others will reject it and they might even get angry because it is also a message of judgment. If people reject the gospel that we share, that doesn't mean that we have failed. This is a normal reaction to the gospel. And this is a message with profound eternal consequences. It's actually a great privilege for us to share with those around us, for us to waft the smell of the gospel to everyone we meet. This is something worth suffering for, worth spending your life for, worth risking your reputation for, worth sharing with all those around you. In fact, that is what we're on about here at St. John's on Gettys. We're all about proclaiming Jesus Christ to present everyone mature in him. We believe that this message is for those who don't believe yet and those who already believe. Proclaiming Jesus Christ the world and to each other so that we grow more and more like Jesus. That's what we're all about, wafting the smell of Jesus to all the world around us. Who is up for a job like this? Who on earth is sufficient for this role? That's where Paul ends verse 16. But don't lose hope. We can join this gospel parade with confidence because God makes us sufficient. See, Paul's been given this task by God himself. Verse 17, For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Remember, there are false teachers in Corinth, and they're using the Corinthians to line their own pockets. They're peddling God's word. But Paul is sincere. He's commissioned by God to speak the good news of Jesus. Now, notice that being part of Jesus' victory parade, it doesn't just mean living well and hoping people will notice the gospel. It means speaking the gospel. People can't believe unless they hear, and they won't hear unless we speak. Yes, we want our lives to show the reality of the gospel to those around us, but we must also speak the good news of Jesus. That's what Paul does. 
But it sounds a bit like Paul's bragging here, right? He's tooting his own horn. And he recognises how it sounds. Chapter 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation from you or to you? Does Paul need a letter of recommendation to prove his commission from God to proclaim the gospel? Actually, he says he's got a better recommendation than any plain old letter. He has them. Look in verse 2. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, not with ink, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. They are the proof. Paul's preaching, through the Paul's preaching of the gospel, the Corinthians believed. They repented and they put their faith in Jesus. Their hearts were transformed and changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. God wrote on their hearts. This is God's work. They're a letter of Christ, from Christ, written with the spirit of the living God, but they're a letter delivered by Paul. It's through Paul sharing the gospel that God worked to deliver this letter. And this is exactly what God promised would happen in the Old Testament. Although had people had hard hearts, hearts of stone, God promised he would do something new. He would give them his spirit. He would change their hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. He would write his law on their hearts so that they could obey. And that's what God has done in the lives of the Corinthians. Through the Holy Spirit, God has written on their hearts. He's given them hearts of flesh rather than hearts of stone. He's transformed them just like he promised he would do. And this is the proof that, God, that Paul's ministry is given by God. He has faithfully proclaimed the gospel and God has worked through it to change hearts and give new life through faith in Jesus. Paul's confident that his commission is from God. Not because he's sufficient but because of what God has done. Verse 4. Such is the confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul's not bragging about himself. Because it's not about him. It's about God. God has given them confidence through Christ. God has commissioned them. God has worked through the gospel in the hearts of the hearers. God has made them sufficient. It is all from God. And this is a reality for all of us as believers. Are you qualified to share the gospel? Are you qualified to speak to your co-workers and your family, to teach kids or speak the gospel to others in church? The answer is actually yes. Not because you're so good, but because God qualifies you to share the gospel. It is God who makes you sufficient. We all need to hear this. We need to hear it when we're discouraged. When we don't think that we can speak about Jesus, we don't know enough, we're not good enough, not bold enough. It's actually not about us. It's about God. 
He has made you sufficient for this. He will give you the words to speak. He will work through his word to change hearts. Our job is just to keep speaking, to keep spreading the aroma of the gospel wherever we go. And even that is something that's given by God. But we need to hear this when we're proud too. When things are going well. When we start to think that we are the best thing since sliced bread. Gee, it's a good thing Jesus has got me. The truth is, it is not about you or me. On your own, you aren't sufficient or qualified for this task. Nothing came from you. It is all from God. So rest in him and get on with proclaiming Jesus. We can join in the gospel parade because God has made us sufficient. But there's another reason. We can join in the gospel parade because the Spirit changes hearts. See what Paul says here in verse 6. God has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Now, covenant, it's a fancy churchy word, isn't it? It's a formal relationship. It involves promises and commitment. In the Old Testament, God made a covenant with his people, Israel. We saw this in Deuteronomy last term. God rescued them out of slavery with Egypt. He made a covenant with them. He promised that he would be their God and they would be his people. He gave them the law, his good commands to show them how to live as his saved people. And they promised that they would obey him. If they obeyed, they would enjoy all of God's blessings, long life in the land, peace and security and abundance. But if they didn't obey, if they broke the covenant, they would face the curses. Ultimately, even the exodus would be undone as God sent them away into exile. But there was a problem. The problem wasn't with the covenant itself, but with the people. They failed to obey. They chose to rebel against God and disobey his commands. They faced the curses for their disobedience. And so God promised them a new covenant, a covenant where God would give them his spirit, write the law on their hearts, deal with the problem in them. You can read about it in Jeremiah 31 or Ezekiel 36. This is the glorious new covenant that Paul is a minister of. Over the next few verses, he compares these two covenants. First, the old covenant kills by revealing our sinfulness and condemning us before God. But the Spirit gives life, granting us faith in Jesus, new hearts of flesh and transforming our hearts. In this way, the old covenant was a ministry of death. Look in verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which is being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? The old covenant condemned us before God. It revealed our sinfulness. Like an x-ray that can show you how you have a broken bone, but it can't fix you up. The law shows us our sinfulness, but it can't make it right. Under the law, we face the rightful punishment for our sin, which is death. And yet it was still a gracious gift from God. Paul says it was glorious. When Moses came down the mountain from meeting with God, his face shone from God's glory. 
It was so bright it freaked the Israelites out. Moses had to cover it up with a veil. You can read that in Exodus 34. If the old covenant, the ministry of death, was that glorious, how much more is the ministry of the Spirit that can bring new life? Paul says the same thing again in verse 9. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. The old covenant could only bring condemnation. But the new covenant, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have been counted as righteous through faith in him. This new covenant goes way beyond the old covenant in glory. Verse 10. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Just imagine for a moment that uh, you're out in the bush in the middle of the night. It's pitch black. There's no moon, but you've got a torch. And it's a bright torch. And you can see and get around. It's it's glorious, right? But compared to the sun, that torch is nothing. Imagine you try shining it in the middle of the day when the sun is right above you. You probably won't even see where your torch is shining. Because the sun makes your torch seem like nothing. And that's what happens with the new covenant. The old covenant was a good thing, a glorious thing. But the new covenant is so much greater, so much brighter, so much more glorious that the old covenant is like nothing compared with it. And that was always its job. It was meant to be temporary, to point to something better, to point to a permanent covenant, one that guarantees life for God's people forever. These false teachers They might be telling the Corinthians that they need to go back to the Old Covenant. You know, Jesus is great, but he's not enough. They should also keep the Old Covenant. But that would be crazy. Why would you trade in the sun to get your piddly little torch back? That's why Paul is so confident. Not because he's so great, but because in the New Covenant, through the Gospel, the Spirit changes hearts to bring new life. Verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Moses hid his face from the Israelites. But Paul doesn't need to hide. He's in the victory parade. He's boldly speaking the good news of Jesus wherever he goes. All because the Spirit changes hard hearts. Verse 14. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The Israelites, they couldn't see the greater glory that the Old Covenant was meant to point to, because their minds were hardened. Even in Paul's day, even today, but unless God works in our heart, we can't understand his word. We can't understand the way that the old covenant points us to Jesus. We can't understand and respond to the gospel. You see, sin has so distorted our hearts and turned us away from God that without the work of Christ through the spirit in us, 
we will not turn to God. But see what Paul says there in verse 16. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. There's a free offer there. There's a promise. If we will turn to the Lord, turn away from our sins, to turn to God in faith and trust, then Christ works in our hearts to remove that veil. He gives us understanding so that we can grasp hold of the gospel. Even this is a gift from God. It's only through him that we can turn to him in repentance at all. We need the spirit to change our hearts. Otherwise, the gospel is that stench of death to us. But we can leave that part up to God to figure out. We just need to hear the call to repent. If we repent and turn to the Lord in faith, then he will work by his spirit to remove that veil, to give us hearts of flesh, to write his law on our hearts. Maybe you are someone who has never repented and put your faith in the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're still looking into Jesus. Or maybe you've been someone who's gone to church all of your life, but you've never repented and trusted in Jesus for yourself. See the offer here. The Spirit works in those who turn to the Lord. Don't put it off. Turn to Him today. Today's the day to repent and to trust in Him, to enjoy the eternal life that He freely offers. Chat to someone from our church family afterwards. If that's you, we'd love to talk to you. And this work of the Spirit changing our hearts, it doesn't actually end when we trust in Jesus. Actually, this is the whole of the Christian life. Until Jesus returns, the Spirit will be working to transform us to be more like Jesus. That's where Paul ends this section. But notice how God does this work. Verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Our transformation is the work of the Spirit as we behold Jesus' glory. Like Moses was changed by beholding God's glory on Mount Sinai, we are transformed by beholding the glory of Christ Jesus. It's only as we look to him and keep looking to him that we'll be transformed to be more like him. Now, we don't see Jesus face to face, but we see him revealed through his word. We see him revealed through the preaching of the gospel, revealed as we remind each other of all that he's done, revealed through the glory of his death and resurrection. Through these things, we behold the glory of the Lord and we grow to be more like him. Do you want to grow in your Christian walk? Look to Jesus. Do you want to be bolder in sharing the gospel? Look to Jesus. Do you want to help to serve God and serve others? Look to Jesus. Do you want simply to have the power to keep going when all seems lost? Look to Jesus. Behold his glory. And be transformed as his spirit works in us. How can Paul possibly say that he's sufficient or qualified to proclaim Jesus to all? Only through God. The one who makes him sufficient. 
the one who works to change hearts. And that means with Paul, we can join that gospel parade too. We can proclaim Jesus wafting that smell every chance we get, not because we're sufficient, but because God has made us sufficient and because he will change hearts through his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his death and resurrection, for the gift of his spirit, and for the way that your spirit works in our hearts to change us to be more like him and grant us faith. Please help us this week, wherever we go, to be wafting the smell of the gospel to those around us. Please give us boldness to speak in words. Please, Lord, help us and work through the gospel to change hearts around us. We are not in ourselves sufficient for these things, but through you and your work in us, we are sufficient. Please give us that confidence and boldness this week, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.